Welcome to the Shalhaba Community Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. Thank you, Shalhaba Community Church. It is great to be back. I want to start by commending you. The last time I was here, we'd just started the early childhood centre that was going. What an amazing year Ruth and the team have had, and also your management team as you've led them so very well. Can I just tell you, nobody gets exceeding on their first time out the gate, and you guys did it. That is just, that's amazing. Now, if I could make church as hard as possible, I would call it 2020. This time last year, we were believing for what we're receiving today. We're gathered together. The church continues to bring the message of the good news. But let me remind you, the same as Max just did as we went through the communion message, that it was only 12 months ago that we were believing for this. Sometimes it's so easy for us to focus on what we don't have that we forget to take the time to come with gratitude and thank God for what we do have. And so I want to commend you. I want to commend your pastors, Shane and Rachel, as they journeyed through unexplored territory as we went to the great comfort of speaking to a camera instead of people, as our jokes fell flat and not even the cameraman would smile. (laughs) Used to getting immediate feedback from people and there was nothing. Holding altar calls and not even the cameraman would put his hand up. Ah, that's there. And so suddenly we come back and I just want to tell you that Shane and Rachel are the same as me up there in Coffs or in Grafton, Tauri, the locations that we're ministering with. It's amazing to see what God's doing. Had a young man just a couple of weeks ago come into church. Never met him before, but he'd grown up in the Gloucester church and at a young age in his teens, his parents had separated and he said, that's it for me with God. If he's going to allow those type of things to happen in my life, I'm out of here. And so at 30 years of age, he's studying at the campus. It's just around the corner from us. And he decides to go from Coffs to Sydney for the weekend. And as he's got in his car and he's hit the highway, he has this open-eyed vision. He's driving along, but he sees himself looking from outside himself up ahead. And he sees his car and a semi-trailer swerve into his lane unexpectedly, clip his car and his car to become a flaming inferno. Understandably, this freaked him out. And so Jordan hit the brakes, and uh, he suddenly has things flip back into normal, and as he does that, he looks up ahead, and wouldn't you know it, there's a semi-trailer that just swerves unexpectedly into where his car would have been if he hadn't hit the brakes. He said, I knew God was telling me to get back into church. He says, so I'm here. What do I need to do? So we were able to pray with him. And can I just tell you, over the last few weeks, as he's come over home and he's met the team and just seen his faith reignited, God is at work and alive amongst us today. And we are seeing the things that we believed God for 12 months ago. You know something? God didn't save Jordan in order to make up the numbers. God didn't allow that experience to happen so that his followers would increase or his likes would go up. God saved Jordan because God loves Jordan. But God is no respecter of persons. Does that mean he doesn't respect you? No, that means he does not play favorites. And in that he did that for him, he does that for us. God loves you. How good is that news? I think sometimes we need what Max did for us this morning, don't we? The reminder. Can you remember 
what it was like before Christ? Can you remember what he saved you into? Not into isolation, not into shame, not into that place of living under fear and trepidation, waking in the middle of night as the thought of death continues to crowd around our thinking and our mind. No, rather he saves you to life, life everlasting and life abundant. What a wonderful promise for each of us. Why? Why would he do that for mankind? We live in a time and an age where so many people want to tell us that we're no more worthy than the animals or the plants or, or maybe the dirt that we crawl upon. And yet our Savior says something very different. He tells me in his word that you and I are image bearers of God. Every human has value because we're formed in the image of God. We carry his image, the word of God says. Genesis 1:27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created, he created you and I for fellowship. He created you and I so that we would walk and talk and live in community with him. What a great name this church has. Called and created for community. And then he says, I want to call you more than friend. I want to call you family. I want to call you sons and daughters. So how do we join the family of God? Well, how did you join your family? I would hope there's not anyone in the room that was hatched. The first way that we join the family is we're born into the family of God. We're born into our natural family. Has anyone heard the term born again? And that's what it means to come from that place of not having a relationship with God, but through faith in Jesus Christ, to be knit into his family, to be born again, to get a fresh start, but not a start as a follower, but rather a start as a son or a daughter. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And so he knits us into the family of God by birthing us into the family. The other way that we join families... I've got two younger sisters that are adopted, but I don't introduce them as my adopted sisters. No, they're my sisters. And the Bible tells us again, he knits us to his family by adopting us into the family of God. So if you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves, you haven't been born into that place. Rather, he says, instead you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, which is the Aramaic for daddy, father. It's, that, it's not the term of the slave talking to the owner, but it's rather the child referring to the parent. The other way that we join a family, and I can see this right here, this amazing young family right here with Tom and Carly. The other way that we join a family is we marry into a family. Those who've been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they're children of God. Do you know what the Bible refers to you, the church, as? We are the bride of Christ, born into the family of God, adopted into the family of God, and we are the bride of Christ. Can he make it any clearer to us that God wants intimate relationship with you and I? But we've just lived through a period, haven't we, of division, of isolation, of distancing. Wherever you see division, 
you see the work of the enemy. Wherever you see reconciliation, you see the work of our Father. He's the one who paid the price to bridge the gap. His very nature screams out three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet he is one. And so the enemy seeks to, to steal from our lives, to devour or bring destruction, to bring death to our lives. And he goes after the isolated. And what's been the enemy's strategy over this period of time? I can do it alone. I'm safer alone. And yet the Bible screams out, you're created for community. You were birthed for family. And so we've got to resist the temptation again and again to isolate, to shield and guard our hearts because I've been hurt before and someone said something nasty or took my car park or didn't greet me, unfollowed me on social media or didn't like my photo of my breakfast. So for us as followers of Christ, we want to be ones that press in. And there's a great story in the Bible that helps us to understand this thought of being birthed for community, birthed for relationship with others. And so my good mate Tom's going to help me out here. He's organized some guys to bring out Matt and a few blokes. And I want to read to you from Luke chapter 5. Look at these hulking, hefty men. How awesome are they? Okay, hop on up here, wherever you're going to go, probably over there, I'd say. And come on, if you've got eyes, look to the screens. If you don't quite trust that I've put the right words up there, you can open up your Bible app. Or if you actually have printed pages, that'd be cool too. And you'll find in Luke chapter 5 this story. Young man, can I hop? I ask you to hop right in the middle of that mat. You are the hero of the story today. Grab a seat. Congratulations. Welcome to your livelihood. This is your workplace. This is your home. Over here is your bathroom. It's a bit embarrassing. The walls are a bit transparent. Over here, your wardrobe. Good to see that, you know, you're keeping it tidy this time. Um, that's your bed right there in, in the middle. Um, that confines on this rug is where your past has been, and it's also where your future is. All that you have to offer to anyone else in the world is confined to that space. This is what it looks like to live life on the mat. One day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. I like that Luke says in brackets, it seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea as well as from Jerusalem. It's like, again? Here they are again? What's with the critics? Okay, but anyway, and the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. 
And Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home, praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, We have seen amazing things here today. Life on the mat. Life on the mat, you're dependent upon everyone else for everything. Hopeless, pointless, to be pitied or, unfortunately, by some people, despised. Filthy, you're laying in the dirt. Running water, unless it's raining, and then you can't get out of it. It's extremely public. Where's the privacy? Where's the dignity that is ascribed to every human being? Life on the mat. And yet somehow or other, this man had enough to offer four other men that they knew to pick up the mat. Gentlemen, let's see how we go here. Where's the other one? Come on, come and help me. Here we go. Tom's got it. You strong enough, Tom? There we go. This man on the mat, what was he? Was he like incredibly personable? What did he have to offer that four men knew enough to pick him up? Okay, boys, around the stage. Let's see how we go. And carry him to Jesus. How far away do you reckon Jesus was from where the begging mat would have been? We don't know. How discouraged would the guys have been when they saw the crowds and they saw that even after this long journey of carrying, keep coming. I want to see the muscles. Come on. You've got to work for it this morning. <laughs> okay, here's the thing, guys. What I want you to do is stand pretty much in the middle there. And what I want you to do is I want you to go in four different directions and see what happens. So the other thing we can get from this is that these four men had to know where to take the person on the mat. There was very little that the person on the mat that I can assume would be able to offer in return. This was something that they were doing with no hope maybe of return, and yet they had faith. In fact, the Bible tells us they had so much faith that Jesus forgave the sins. Isn't that an amazing thought? Thank you, gentlemen. You have been absolutely, I couldn't ask for better help this morning. So let's give them a hand. And let's have a look at unpacking this thought. Look at that. When you've got the same direction, isn't it easier? Okay, in your head right now, I've got a question for you. Name four people who would carry you on a map. To help. Not 40. Four. Shell Harbor Community Church. Surely there's four. What would be the motivation? What common characteristics do the four names that come to your mind have? Are they people that would expect uh, something in return for doing this for you? Is there, a, for some reason, a, a sense of obligation? What's the motivation 
that they have in common. And I would hope it would be like those four people in my life. It is at the bottom foundational level, love. Love in action. Love expressing itself in serving the way that Jesus expressed his love. You see, Jesus came and he didn't give us a list of instructions and sit back and wait for us to get it wrong. But Jesus came and demonstrated or exampled what it is to live the life that he's called you and I to. The Bible tells that he lived in relationship with his heavenly father and invited out of that fellowship, out of that relationship, others to join, to come into what in the Greek is called koinonia. It's to create a bond between comrades. It's when people are recognized and share their joys and pains together and are united because of their common experiences, interests, and goals. Fellowship creates a, a mutual bond which overrides our individual pride, vanity, and individualism. It fulfills that human need that we have, that yearning for fraternity, belonging, and companionship. It helps us to stop being selfish and to let generosity and sharing flow. And the spiritual implications of koinonia, this, this amazing term of fellowship that's so much more than tea and coffee after the service, it's a participation together in God's grace. And it's actually an evidence that you have found saving faith and that God exists. The Bible says the love that you have one for another is the demonstration that God is alive and at work amongst us. Well, I just want to hit the like button. Come on, I'm believing for better. I'm believing for more for you. Taste and see. Genuine community. This family of faith is worth pressing into. You see, we live in a time and an age where the world wants us to settle for acquaintances, but God calls us to family. Proverbs 18.24 says it this way, friends come and friends go. Anyone seen this? Oh, come on, I've got both hands up. I'm a pastor. Generally, they go very vocally and telling me why it's my fault. Friends come and friends go, but a true friend sticks to you like family. I've got the great joy at the moment of working with one of my oldest friends, Rick Brewer. Okay? Rick and I, we shared a house together as teenagers. We've been best mates since grade 10, but it's only been the last couple of years that we're actually working in ministry together as the location pastor in Taree. And that foundation of trust that we have is a lifelong commitment joined together because the love of God has knit us together as brothers. And it's been the same thing as I've journeyed here year in, year out to watch you grow as a church to watch you overcome the challenges, to watch you rise to the vision as Shane has seen and heard from God about where you're going and what it is you're giving yourselves to. I was here when the thought was in their head for the child care center and to come back and to see the reality of those amazing families experiencing the love of God in this house. The community center that's but a dream I know is going to come to fruition that God's birth in this heart because the very name expresses it here and Shell Harbour Community Church. We're called into this koinonia, this fellowship with God. And let me give you the biblical reference for it, okay? It's found in John 1, 1 John 1, verse 3. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have 
koinonia, so that you may have fellowship with us, so that you may have this close, intimate, godly bond. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Who wrote it? The youngest of the apostles. Many think he was 13 when he followed the call of God. He was the one who, who didn't die a violent death, but rather had to live a long life in isolation. And yet out of isolation, he writes about this, the value of being knit together as the body of Christ. When he talks about Jesus inviting him into friendship, he's not talking theory, he's talking experience. And an experience will always beat an argument. God has called you into personal relationship with him. What a wonderful thing that he gave his very very own son, to pay the price so that he can walk intimately and closely with you, but not you exclusively, but you joint to his family, this amazing group of people we get to call the church. You saw what happened when we went in four different directions, and there's a saying that psychologists have that if you show me your eight closest friends, I will show you your future. The Bible puts it this way and affirms the same theory in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Bad company corrupts good character. Dad put it a little more simply. You become like those you spend time with. Walk with the wise and become wise, Proverbs reminds us. Associate with the fools and you're getting in trouble. Who are your friends? Who are you becoming? Who are you helping them to become? Make no mistake, we're not Teflon coated. We do have an effect on each other. We change each other. Ask someone who's been married 30 years. The Bible tells us that our spouse is our crown or our reward. You get not only what you deserve, you get what you build. Spend Decades putting someone down, you will build an insecure spouse. Spend decades building them up and telling them why they're the greatest thing that ever happened. Guess what you've got? The greatest thing that ever happened. Hebrews 10, 24 says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. What a great motivation to have as you're thinking of other people. <laughs> Scrolling through social media. What does that teach us? It teaches us to judge people based upon what our perceptions are. It teaches us to compare. Comparison's the thief of joy. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. How do I motivate Tom to good things? I encourage him. I reward him for those good things. I help him to rise above the opposite of this that's there. So for you and I, where is it that we're taking our friends? Are we all going in the same direction? First question, who's got your mat? Here's the second question. Whose mat have you got? Whose list did you make of four people? And here's the third question. Where are they taking you? Where are you taking them? Those four knew enough to know where the solution was. And they took their friend to Jesus. And their amazing act of generosity, their demonstration of faith is still talked about now, 2,000 years later. 
Where are your friends taking you? Where are you taking your friends? When was the last time that you remembered how bad it was, the life on the mat? The life, as Max reminded us, lived in fear. Have we forgotten what we've been saved from? Have we forgotten that there's still countless millions out there living their life on the mat? What has happened to us that we no longer have our hearts broken for those ones who are going to a Christless eternity? Living a life encapsulated by fear. How do we go about bringing change? How will we be genuine community and family? How do we go deeper? If you want, here's our call to action for this morning. I commit to do life in family. Is there anyone who will just put up your hand and say, that's me, Phil. I'm in. I'm all in in this house. Come on, just up like that. Affirm to those that are around you. You know something? I'm committed to this house. I'm committed to you. I am in. I'm not on the fence anymore. I'm not dating after 30 years in case something better comes along. I'm prepared to say I'm going to do life and all of life and life to my utmost in this house. The Bible tells whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your might. Hey, if we're going to be followers of Christ, don't be average. Don't aspire to normal. Jump in. Make the history pages. Become part of Hebrews 11. I will do life and family. I will not submit to the temptation to live in isolation. I will purposely connect with other believers at more than a superficial level. I love what Pastor Shane had to say on that video this morning. He's encouraging us to press into to real relationship together. We've got other ways and things that we do within church, but that's what it comes into. It's inviting people into koinonia. Is your table full? Is there no more room? When was the last time you invited someone over home? Tonight, as I have the great opportunity to share in the service tonight, I'm going to bring to our remembrance the report cards, the things that God looks at in our lives that are our qualifications for how we're growing and going in faith. And I'm going to take it for those of you who want to cheat. Have a look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, okay? That's where we're going tonight. I want to live a life that demonstrates Jesus in action. And that requires others. It's uncomfortable at times. It's messy. It's out of my control. It's going to cost me everything. It's counterculture. But that's what he's called us to be. A stench at times in people's nostrils. To be different. To be set apart. To continue the mission that he instigated. It's the life and the greatest call that we could possibly aspire to. And it's the opposite of doing it alone. It's the best life. And it's the life that he makes available to you and I this morning. And we come to it because of the price that he paid that I could never afford. And that price is the life of Jesus Christ, a perfect life. And it's so easy for us to accept that this morning. And I want to take this opportunity 
to pray the prayer that so many of us across this room prayed that made the difference between the life on the mat and the life carrying the mat for someone else. If you want to make that transition, if you want to live life in that relationship, I would ask that you would listen to this prayer. And if you agree with it, at the end of it, say yes. In church, we often use a word called amen, and it means exactly the same thing. Me too. I agree. So let me pray that out, listen to it. And maybe this morning it's the first time or perhaps it's like my friend Jordan that I started the story in the message today where you're coming back to faith in Christ. But this is just the crossroads. It's not the journey. It's a decision point and it's the greatest decision that anyone could possibly make to choose faith in Jesus Christ. But then there's a matter of continuing on the journey. Let me help you at the crossroads this morning with this prayer. Jesus, I surrender to you. I know that you have overcome the world, the grave. Death itself could not hold you down, Lord. You died on that cross, but you rose again. And today, Jesus, I receive the life, the abundant life, the fullness of life that you have made available to each and every one of us through your victory over death. Change me. Be my Lord. Be my saviour. Lead me. I surrender my life to you this morning, the author of life. And shape me into the person you died for me to be. In Jesus' name I pray. And won't you agree with me this morning? Amen. Yes and amen. Yes and amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, just out those doors, you're going to find our next steps lounge. I would love for you to make our day, our week, the whole purpose that we've wanted to come together and celebrate just like we did for Jordan a few weeks back and share what you've decided this morning with people at the next steps. Can I ask you to do that this morning? That's how you go from the crossroads down into the path and change your destiny and your direction that you're going. Shell Harbour Community Church, there's been something in this message this morning that's gripped your heart and has encourage you to press closer into relationships with God and with each other. Can I ask that right now, we affirm that commitment in a moment of prayer. Is that okay? Holy Spirit, I thank you that you come around our hearts and we yield ourselves to you right now. You bring us to conviction, but not condemnation. You're not here this morning to lay a guilt trip on anyone, but rather you come and you bring to our remembrance the areas that you're addressing, that you're challenging us on, that you're growing us. And so this morning, we yield our hearts to you. We would ask this morning that in this house, help us to be who you've called us to be, who you've paid the price for us to be. Help us to be worthy of bearing your name as we bear your image. We pray in your name. Amen. Practically, if you're not in a small group, you're missing out. Make a friend, be a friend, and love people the way Jesus did. God bless you. Thank you again for having me.